What up, everybody? It's Nate with Streetwave. Today we're down on the crossroads, and more specifically, we're at the Mean Mill with Jeff Evans. What's going on, brother man? Hey, man, how are you? I'm doing well. It was a late night for both of us, so it's very mellow out Saturday for us. Um, I brought you on for a reason. We think that you're cultivating, you're creating a community here in the crossroads mm. with opening Mean Mule. Uh, we're really excited for that uh, opening day. I, I want to dive into uh, your life. Mm. So I did some digging. I did oh some. No. I did some digging around. Yeah. yeah. Um, first of all, though, I, I want to begin just kind of a, a brief story about yourself, um, just where you're from, um, kind of like in that in-between moment, and then where you are now. Yeah, so um, so I grew up here and there. Uh, finally settled in uh, Kansas City area um, in the mid '90s uh, with my parents and my three siblings. And uh, I've been a Kansas City-ish boy ever since. Uh, went to school uh, in in Rolla, Missouri, and got a degree in uh, engineering. And then uh, did a lot of uh, machine design for. Uh, various large-scale manufacturers uh, through some firms here in town. And, uh, you know, to start a company has always been a dream. It's always been something that's on my heart. Uh, even since I was a little kid, I always, I would always ask my dad, I'm like, but how, how does someone know to just go to this thing and, and buy something from you? Like, how do you, how does that work? Right. Uh, do you just make, do you just make something and people come, you know? Um, and so it, uh, it fascinated me for a long time. And when the opportunity arose for uh, my wife and I uh, to start a business, uh, we started Mean Mule. Uh, and Mean Mule gets its name uh, from an old family story. And I'm sure we'll talk about that here a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, man. I, I've actually, um, digging into your, your Instagram a little bit, I saw that um, there's the words of like beardsmen, craftsmen, wisemen, and wild man. Yeah. And I kind of want to... I want to do like that chapter one as beardsmen. So sure. we'll, we'll dive in that first of all. Um, if the listeners don't know, you have an outstanding beard. Oh, and thank you. we all know that. And we, we look up to you for your, your beard. Uh, My beardness. Your beardmanship. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember growing your first beard? I do. Um, I actually remember starts way back. I remember my mom getting us a uh, my brother and I for Christmas uh, a little like two blade Bic razor. My brother and I had cultivated as uh, 13-year-old boys these incredible peach fuzzy mustaches, <laughs> and we were so proud of them. And my mom was like, "No, son, it's got to go. It's got to go." <laughs> and we were like, "But, but, Dad!" And he was like, "Your mother's right. <laughs> it's got to go, kids." <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, a, a beard just kind of found me one day. I used to have these long, flowing golden locks that would uh, all curly and would go past my shoulders and. Ooh. And I loved him, uh, yeah. and I was a, a very cute person. <laughs> and uh, and one one morning in college, I woke up and there was hair all over my pillow, and I had the thickest five o'clock shadow I have ever had. <laughs> and it just happened overnight for me. Uh, so then I developed this uh, <laughs> this bald spot on the back of my head. I can't grow a hair much anymore, but uh, the beard has been growing ever since. <laughs> <laughs> it stopped and started. Yeah, it just migrated. Know? That kind of thing. Um, talking about beards, you know, like maintaining and shaping your beard. I mean, obviously, and, you know, the listeners can't see this right now, but it's it's in great shape. Thank you. A lot of tender love on that. A lot of tender love. A lot oil. Of oil. A lot of oil. So uh, what a lot of people don't know is uh, if you want a beard to look nice, not to look like some crazy person, um, you have to use a blow dryer. You just have to. And so you kind of sculpt uh, from your ear down to your chin, and you blow, depending on how your, your hair typically folds, you, you blow in that direction with the hair dryer, and you add oils, <coughs> you add oils and, um, and various balms to it, and then once you kind of get the shape, um, you blow it out and make sure it's dry, um, and then you kind of work on the mustache. I, I take the blow dryer and I put it like on my bottom lip uh, or my chin, and I blow in an upwards direction towards my, uh, so right chin, left eyebrow, left chin, right eyebrow, and kind of blow the mustache out. Wow, so yeah. uh, then the heat and a mixture of some wax and some uh, some balm kind of keeps the mustache up as well. And my wife, uh, she tells the joke, she says, well, you spend more time uh, in my bathroom with my blow dryer than I do. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, it sounds like it's my bathroom and my blow dryer now. So. <laughs> 
I've recently just shaved my beard. Oh man. Just because the season was changing and I was like, it's time for change. Mm. But I, I was I grew a pretty good one out for the winter. Like yeah. but the winter was was horribly long this year, so I try to make it as long as I can. But last week I was facing myself in the mirror and I was like, It's now or never. Yeah. So just started with like that neck and I was just like, uh Forget this. I'm gonna just gonna do my cheeks. I just did like one line. I was like, "There it is. It's done. Now I have yeah, to." Yeah, you get that one line. You're like, well, you can't look like this forever, so I gotta go. <laughs> half beard. I've always wanted to do the the half cut, like all the way down. Oh yeah. Have like a long. Uh, my friend Jonathan did that one time. It was a good time. All right. So chapter two. Oh, chapter two. The craftsman part. So yeah. there's a couple things that I mean with the craftsmen's we can definitely talk about. You know. Um, we can throw that into, uh, you know, a little bit of your 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 music talent, um, but I kind of want to focus on on the first chapter or the second chapter, part one, of uh, where we're sitting and just the behind story of um, how this all got started. So mean mule, mean mule. So let's start with my family story here. Yeah. So a uh, long time ago, uh, it would have been probably the early 1800s, late 1700s. My great great great-grandmother uh, imported from Germany with her family. Uh, she settled in Missouri, and she built her first still and started a company. She passed it down to her daughter, passed it down to her daughter, so I come from this line of, like, really badass women. And at this point, I'm just trying not to let them down. <laughs> uh, no so in the 1920s, there was obviously a little bit of a change in the social, economic, and legal uh, standpoint as far as alcohol is concerned. We call that prohibition. It didn't stop my family from uh, performing their craft. It just made them a little bit more careful. And at the time, my great-grandfather Fitz uh, was, he was running the company, and he was a very careful man. Well, um, one day one of his customers decided he'd gotten a bad deal, and he reported Fitz to the feds. So here come these two revenuers up the long driveway to the house. They're going to shut him down, take him to jail. All 12 kids are out on the front porch crying. Uh, my grandmother uh, told the story over and over, just seeing these two revenuers walk up the long driveway. Well, uh, Fitz runs off in the woods. They can't find him because obviously he knows the lay of the land, and they don't. Uh, but they find the building that the operation's in, and they know it's there. They can smell it. Uh, they can hear it running. Uh, what they didn't know is that Fitz, being a careful guy, had built a false floor. And underneath that floor, he had his operation. On top of the floor, he'd gone out and put the meanest mule that money could buy. So these two guys, uh, in their arrogance and really their ignorance, uh, kick open up uh, this door and come face to face with like 1,500 pounds of mean Missouri fury. Ooh. And within three minutes, one was dragging the other one down the driveway, and they never came back. <laughs> so that's our story. Uh, on that day, only one thing could save five generations of distilling tradition, wow. a mean mule. So... And starting this company, uh, that became a, uh, a badge of honor and a moniker for us, obviously. It's in the name. It's all of our branding. Uh, and if you look at our branding, it's, it's actually a mule kicking a guy uh, through the air. Uh, and that's just a little hat tip there. Uh, and so my family would have made um, alcohol out of uh, corn and wheat and pretty much any sort of sugar-bearing uh, fruit or vegetable or grain that they could make. For us, we want to do something totally different. Uh, when we started this uh, this company, there were four, I think, three distilleries in, in the United States that were making an American agave spirit. Wow. Uh, of those three, uh, two of them stopped, and we were the only one for about a year and a half, and it's kind of started to grow again. Uh, this year at the... Um, at the San Francisco Spirits Competition, I think there was a total of 10 entrants in the American Agave Spirit category. Wow. And, uh, and we meddled, which was great. Oh, yeah. Uh, we brought home a medal there. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, American Agave is, it's, um, it's its own thing. It's not a tequila. Uh, we never set out to be a tequila. Uh, we don't want to misappropriate an entire culture yeah. um, for the sake of money. So... Uh, the, the fun part for us has been how to create a market for something that's like something uh, in thought, but is not like something in the way that we carry it out, the way that we make it, and the right. way that we uh, brand and sell. And really, the flavor profile itself is going to be somewhere in between a rum and a mezcal. Okay. Uh, the majority of the time, just through the 
the processes that we have. And, uh, you know, it's been a wild ride so far. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, what would be really difference between tequila and blue cave? Oh, yeah. So uh, most, well, I'll say 100% of tequilas are made with, uh, out of the blue agave. So that's the agave te- tequiliana plant, right? Uh, and all of our product is made from the same plant. It's a Blue Weber agave. Uh, now, uh, yeasts and uh, yeast strains and processes and the natural terroir of the, uh, the earth and the um, natural enzymes that blow in through the air, all of that plays a role in ha- what the flavor of the end product is. And because we are in Kansas City, we obviously don't get a lot of that desert flour. We don't get... Uh, a lot of that terroir that you would get from uh, from Mexico, we yeah. actually have something totally different. And uh, and so the major differences that we have are uh, in flavor. Um, we we tend to be pretty uh, pretty harsh with our cuts, uh, meaning uh, I don't want anything that's going to deteriorate the flavor of the product in uh, in the final product. Uh, and so. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty ruthless with what we allow to go in. Because there's a lot of money in, in waste spirit, right? So you have your four shots, which is typically methanol that comes out of the still first. And the next thing that comes out of the still is going to be your heads. Heads tend to be very bright, very harsh. Uh, they still have a taste of uh, that methanol, kind of like, um, like a rubbing alcohol or uh, fingernail polish remover. Like that's what it tastes like. But it also has some bright characteristics. And the majority of the heads I leave out, there are some uh, characteristics on the back end of the heads run that are very fruity, very bright, tastes like pineapple. So we, we keep oh some wow. of those in. Yeah. And then the bulk majority of our spirit is going to be the hearts. That's uh, ethanol, straight ethanol. It's very sweet, very bright, uh, has uh, flavors of like, um, like white pepper and a little bit of uh, green pear. And then on the ta- uh, tail end of that, uh, we have the tails, yeah, appropriately <laughs> named. And that's going to be pretty much just the end of the run. You go f- everywhere, f- you get flavors from like black walnut uh, to uh, roasted chestnut, and then it kind of goes into this wet dog flavor. And naturally, uh, we leave that out. Yeah. A lot of cheaper uh, spirits in general, and tequila is not immune to this, have that flavor of the either super sharp that hurts you on the front end and hurts your nose, and you're like, oh, why am I doing this? And on the end, it tastes real bad. That's why you need the chaser, right? Right. Like, oh, this tastes awful. Well, we don't want any of that in there, right? right. We, uh, when we set out to do this, we, we wanted to make something we liked. And uh, I don't know if we ever reached that, but we uh, we got this far, and we like it so far. Right, right, right. Yeah. Do you remember doing your first project? <laughs> I do. <laughs> how, did, how, how was the turnout on that? The first distilling project? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, horrendous, I think. <laughs> Uh, me and a friend were sitting down, and I won't tell you where we were doing this or what we were doing this, and I'll do my best not to implicate myself anything here, but uh, I remember it being really bad, and uh, we didn't know why. Uh, we just didn't know anything, right? We just we put everything together, and anything that came out of the still went directly into a glass. We didn't know how to dilute. We didn't know how to cut it, and uh, and at the end, we were tasting it, and I remember, I remember having this table in my house. Uh, that strangely came with the house, uh, and the the product that I had made uh, was so bad that it burned rings through the varnish on the <laughs> table. And I was like, "Yeah, I need to I need to rethink this." <laughs> <laughs> it's a good sign that it's good, right? It's like this is gonna be yeah. great. What is it? My grandfather always said, "Oh, that'll put mud in your eye." <laughs> My father was, that'll put hair on your chest. <laughs> what if I don't want any of those things? Right? Uh, my, uh, let's go back to the beard experience. I sure. did not grow my first beard until I was in college. Wait, no. No, maybe. I don't know. I was yeah. a late bloomer. I was not like, I wasn't the most hairiest high schooler kid, you know? Yeah. I, I wish, I had homies that, or friends that like would, you know, um, grow beards on baseball seasons. And I'm just like, wow, they're so cool. Yeah. But anyway. Back, back, back to the Craftsman Chapter Two. Yeah. Um, with your guitar playing, so sure. just a little bit about that. Um, you, you so are, you are an axe man, man. You, you can shred. <laughs> so, uh, my mother, 
um, was in college with my brother. Oh, so okay. So my my parents got married. My mom was in college, uh, and she got pregnant with my brother, and she uh, ended up not uh, finishing her her college career because my brother was born and it was just a lot. And uh, and so growing up, she wanted that for her children. She wanted them to have this really really. Um, she wanted us all to have skills. Uh, and so she homeschooled all of us. And uh, part of me growing up is that I had to be uh, musically inclined somehow, right? And it really wasn't a requirement. Uh, all of us kids just like fell into this, this natural music uh, ability, musical ability. Uh, both my sisters are concert trained pianists. Wow. They were, uh, I mean, from the age of like seven or eight, they were going to piano lessons and they did that all the way up until 18, 19. Uh, my brother is a drummer, so I don't know if you can necessarily call that a musician, but he's really good at banging on pots and stuff. <laughs> um, now he's fantastic, actually. He, uh, he did semi-professional drumming a few places for a while. And then uh, my mom enrolled me in the Music Art Institute of Kansas City when I was like 11, and uh, in the elite level classical guitar program. Uh, I wasn't in the elite level when I was like 11, but uh, I just kind of worked through it. And uh, uh, through, through uh, you know, teaching via my tutors and, and, uh, and everything else, um, I learned how to play classical guitar. And I was a concert level classical guitarist uh, by the age of, I think, 16. And uh, I was... So you're melting faces at the age of 16? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, with Gaspar Sands and, uh, and a nylon guitar. I, I Let's play go. Canarios and uh, that's so awesome. Yeah, it man. was great. And I remember having a conversation with my uh, with my teacher, and I said, "Yeah, I want to make a career out of this." And he was like, "Oh dear Jesus, don't make a career out of this, please." <laughs> I was like, "Why?" And he said, "Because I mean, there's there's no money in this. Like, go do make this. <laughs> yeah, popped your balloon. That's man. right." He's like, "Do something that uh, makes you money, and then." do this because you love it but don't do them both at the same time oh, i was like oh that's weird. great advice yeah that's great advice and so uh, i was involved in bands growing up and just you know with my brother obviously because he was a drummer and then my sister's playing synth uh, and then my dad picked up the bass and my mom was a flautist and so it was fun man it was great a family band i know that's awesome yeah. and so my church growing up was pretty much my entire family my mom <laughs> didn't necessarily play flute uh, but it was like the entire Evan's family, and then the worship leader, and uh, it was man, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. So we were playing every Sunday. We were playing through the week. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's the best though when you have got a family, mm. a full family, and a band. I know um, when the band that uh, I was part of in Wichita, the it was brother, drummer, and lead singer, and like it was uh, it was a good vibe, you yeah, know. You so chemistry. yeah, fam over everything. Chapter three, Wiseman. So. Oh man, yeah. Let's talk about why. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I I put knowledge because I know you got some. Oh, you I've know. got some knowledge. You got some knowledge. Got some knowledge. And um, some good. Th yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on the wise man thing. You know, so firstly, you put the moniker wise man on your own Instagram, right? And uh, what does that do to people? They're like, oh come on. Yeah, no, right. you're not. Right, you know? right, right, right. If you were a wise man, you wouldn't say, say that. that. That's yeah, why yeah. you're not a wise man. Uh, really, what I wanted to put was, um, in pursuit of wisdom but it just didn't fit you know uh, I don't know if I'll ever be a wise man um, but I'm I'm always trying to learn I'm right. always trying to grow uh, you know my wife and I uh, going back to some let's just testify here man let's let's get in some testimony my wife and I dated for like six and a half years uh, we met at church camp and just you know grew up Jesus and knowing each other and loving and and uh and we got married in 2011, and I thought it was going to be all uh, sunshine and rainbows, and it was not. <laughs> it was actually kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. And I remember our second year of marriage was just, ah, oh man, it was just brutal for us. Uh, she had started a pretty uh, tough job being a teacher in uh, uh, in uh, KCK, in the, the worst performing school in Kansas City. And it was, it was just a nightmare. And I, as a young husband, did not know how to handle that. I did not know how to help her. I did not know how to help myself. And it put a lot of stress and strain on our marriage. And so one of the 
after almost killing each other for about three or four months, we realized that we really needed some help, and we went and saw some counselors, and we got some people in our lives who could speak into us and, and say, no, Jeff, you're being an idiot. You know, this, is, this is actually what you need. Right. And it's amazing how much, of, uh, how much that actually helps when someone's like, no, 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 you're wrong. You need help. And as long as your heart is open, uh, that can really help you. Right. And so Meg and I started studying this little thing called the Enneagram. Uh, and it is a personality test that deals a lot with your uh, mental health levels. Oh. And we realized that we weren't bad people. We realized that we were unhealthy people. I realized that my wife's attention to detail was not her just being mean or her being... Uh, Oh, what was the <laughs> insufferable was the word I think that I used. She'll, I have to apologize about that word every once in a while, but insufferable is the word I used. Um, but it wasn't just her being insufferable. It was actually um, she, her soul needs order or else it produces anxiety, right? So it wasn't her being insufferable. It was her searching for a way to relieve anxiety that was coming up inside of her. And so the Enneagram is built on what looks like a pentagram. It's not a pentagram. It's not this weird, uh, uh, like, satanic ritual <laughs> thing. It, the, the moniker for the uh, Enneagram is actually just a, a design that shows where you go in health and where you go in, they call it inclusion and exclusion. Or, uh, oh, wow. uh, yeah. So that, that was the big one that we did. We kind of learned about ourselves, then we learned about each other, and then in that we learned how to be a team, how to grow together. And so I love the Enneagram. I'm a huge, huge fan of it. Uh, Father Richard Rohr is this Franciscan friar uh, who is just on this whole different way of thinking, whole new level. And, uh, and I, I mean, we could do three or four podcasts just on the Enneagram if we wanted to because I could speak about it for hours and hours. Well, it's so, funny. Not, not to interrupt, but um, when I was in college, uh, we did Strength Finders. Mm. And the only thing that upset me about it was because it didn't, it didn't have the the mental stability, you know, um, test or like, you know, um, outcome for really like the reasons of for these strengths. You know, it just it was just really broad for me. I wanted some deeper stuff, so it's cool that you mentioned something like that. What's it called again? Enneagram with an E. E N N E A G R A. At first, I was thinking like maybe it's like a Luigi board. You're just yeah. like, all right, yeah. what is this? <laughs> well, spirits, we call upon thee. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so then, then Meg and I started reading a lot about, um, like we're we're always in search of this truth, right? And and growing up, uh, very fundamentalist, and I'm sure I'm pretty sure you grew up fundamentalist yeah, as well. Yeah. The only thought as a fundamentalist is there is one wisdom, everyone else's wisdom is wrong, right? And so, uh, I was never a good youth kid, because my question was always like well, what, what gives you the right to say that? Like, how can someone else's entire belief system be wrong? Because, you know, 85% of this belief system actually agrees with your belief system. You just hang up here and you hang up here. Like, so why, why are these people evil, you know? Yeah. And uh, when you get a lot into how people think, there's this, this study called uh, Spiral Dynamics on... Uh, the way that humans have grown their thinking patterns over the last few thousand years, right? Uh, spiral dynamics is what it's caused, uh, called uh, human cognitive development. And you realize that people who live in this comfortable zone uh, within what's called one meme or one color inside of spiral dynamics, uh, they, once they reach a certain zone that's comfortable for them, they tend to stay in that their entire life. The only way they can move into a new zone, a new thought pattern, a new way of thinking, whether it be holistically, globally, uh, religiously, something has to happen that either causes great love or great suffering. There has to be a lot of pain or a lot of love that moves them to the next level. And when you talk to people about the really hard times in their lives, uh, whether it be a death of a friend or a family member or a child, uh, who they were before that, and who they are after that experience are totally different, mm. right? Yeah. And I've got friends who were just, I mean, they were one person and all about being that one person until something it 
in them happen, whether it was like uh, one of my friends got in a really bad motorcycle accident and suddenly he just had this wisdom like, hey, now I see life in this way and I am not going to waste this. Uh, my father-in-law uh, had cancer a couple of years ago, about four or five years ago, and he's great. He's, uh, he's cured, um, but seeing him then beforehand and seeing him now, he is, he's a totally different man. He's much, uh, much rounder of a person, much more wise. Um, and uh, it's just really incredible to see some of these theories actually happen in real life. So, uh, yeah, so I guess we're talking about Enneagram and, uh, uh, and Spiral Dynamics there. So, and I could talk about those two subjects for a long time. Right. Like we could get yeah. in all the nitty gritty right. of all the memes right. and like where you are and where people yeah. are in those memes. Yeah. And we could do that if you wanted to. Yeah. I've got a, a, a story of, um, definitely of self transformation of my, my senior year in college. Um, I was weighing, I was weighing 325 pounds and I was like, if I don't do this now, and I was 24, 25, if I don't do this now, I'll never do this again. And I did it. Yeah. And like it has been that drastic change of like this negative vibe of like if I was suffering, I wanted everyone else to suffer to like, why did I ever do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I, I saw the you know, I, I mean, in a weird way, I saw the sun like I, 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 I was now I was on that green pasture. You know what I mean? Like I was on the opposite side of things and seeing things completely different and mentally physically all around man it i don't know the room just brightened up even more than it was when when like i i took those pounds off me and was able to like really just properly live mentally physically right again and so it's 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 a regiment for me it's a routine for me it's four days a week now and like uh, it's good for my my main my mental stability and congrats man um, yeah man uh, I've got mad respect for people who can, on decision, change their lives in a big way, and um, and you've done that. Yeah, and that's incredible. And yeah, and it, it, I mean, it took determination, and there was times where I was like, "Is this really going to be worth it?" Because yeah. I mean, every day when I got done working out, I would like take off my clothes, and I'd be like, "Do I see anything different?" Yeah. No. What about and it, it, yeah. Ow. Oh, it was. Yeah, I, I did that for a good first year. Every yeah. day I'd just be like, I'm just keep on looking yeah. at myself. And then things shifted when my dad couldn't read. Uh, he literally could not uh, recognize me walking into the hotel with yeah. a friend of mine. He thought I was a friend of him, Your friend. me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, dad, it's <laughs> it's me. And seeing him just Man. be blown away by that and being supported. Because yeah. he was the whole time growing up just being like, take care of yourself. You That's don't right. want to be in this bad state. Don't do this. I just never listened until, you, you know. know. That's that's why before and after pics are just so huge, man. Body dysmorphia is a real thing. A, a human being cannot, on a day-to-day basis, see changes in their body. Uh, and it requires, it requires big things. I mean, like, half the time, I don't recognize a room being changed that I live in, you know? So how are you going to recognize just all these subtle things inside of your... Uh, side of yourself that are changing yeah and I, I come back to south africa and i'm like all right my mother my mother has changed her house i go in it's the same <laughs> most recently though she called me and she said she redid the whole house so i'm nice. i'm actually eagerly looking for that because my mother lives in fort sky which is like yeah. a very very small town in kansas and change is very very um doesn't happen yeah. a lot does just does just seldomly yeah, yeah small town yeah. life always stays the same. Yeah, right. I walked in that house and it felt like I was going back in time. Like that's how that was. Uh, move, you know, evolving, changing. It's it's difficult to take on, but I feel like if you if you if you open up, if you be real with yourself mm. and embrace change, yeah. things things will happen for the best for you. It's happened for me. It's happened that's for right. me. Chapter four, wild man. Oh man! All right, so I know Wild I know recently man. you've been like tra- you travel a lot. I do travel a lot. Yeah, representing Mean Mule. Uh, no, just for no, fun. No, no, no. Uh, it's one of the things my wife and I love to do. So, uh, traveling is a big one for us. We just got back from uh, Mexico. Uh, there's this little island that we love going to called Isla Mujeres, right off the coast of uh, Cancun. 
and it's small enough to where the tourists don't go there, right? Because wow. Cozumel is right beneath it, yeah. and that's like the party place. Right. And then Cancun is like the party place, right. but Isla is very slow, very small, and uh, and it's honestly just incredible. You can stand in the middle of the island and uh, see both beaches, both sides of the island. Uh, and if you stand on one beach, you can, if you've got a good enough arm, you can throw uh, a baseball to the other beach. And I've seen it done. Like it is, wow. it's maybe 120 yards wide in a few spots. Like, I mean, it's, it's. I did see so the pick. Cool. I saw the yeah. pick. Yeah. yeah Cause you, you that, did, that, you uh, did different photos. Out. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That fly out. Yeah. And so my wife and I, we've, this is our second time going. The first time we went, we were just blown away at the, uh, uh, I mean, the people are just wonderful. Uh, it's cheap as can be. Uh, and it doesn't, doesn't hurt that the peso is at like, it's like 20 pesos per us dollar. So the exchange rate is fantastic. So you go in and you're like, Oh, three tacos. And they're like, well, that's 15 pesos. And you're like, okay, well I want guacamole. And they're like, Oh, that's 20 pesos. You're like, okay, and you kind of get the feeling like, oh, these are the tourist prices. They're they're bumping this up. Right. You're like, well, what if I want a cerveza? And they're like, oh, very expensive, twenty five pesos. Like, wow. Okay. They're working you. Mean? Yeah, and uh, you know, our last day there, uh, I was having this conversation with this young man who was our waiter, and he was just so kind, so kind. And uh, there was a Ducati uh, seven hundred sitting outside, and I was like, hey, is that yours? <laughs> Pointed this motorcycle, and it was beautiful. And you don't often see something valuable in that place, right? Uh, and he was like, no, man, that's, that's not mine. And he points to some expat, and he said, oh, it's his. I said, well, has he ever let you ride it? He said, yeah, once or twice. <laughs> and uh, I said, so what about you? And he said, well, I want an R6. I'm really saving up for one. It's 50,000 pesos. And I'm kind of running the numbers in my head. And he makes it sound like this is huge, huge astronomical thing, yeah. thing. And I'm running the numbers in my head. I'm like, that's like $2,500. Like, yeah, that's that's... That's, that's a lot. Yeah. You know, that's a lot. That'd be a lot for any normal person. Yeah. Uh, let alone this poor 16-year-old kid that's, you know, working five jobs and just as cute as can be. And uh, so the check comes, and I suddenly realize that I have this opportunity uh, to do something for him. And so uh, <laughs> so the check is like something silly. It's like 45 or 50 pesos. It's nothing. Right, and I'm just, I'm just struck. Like my heart is suddenly just turned uh, in compassion for this kid. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tip a thousand pesos. I mean, what's a thousand pesos, right? It's fifty bucks. Yeah. And uh, sure, it hurts for like ten seconds, and then what? I forget about it. Right, right. right? So, uh, so I, I wrote down a thousand pesos on the, um, on the tip, and he looked at me real funny. I was like, hey, it's for the R6. It's for your motorcycle. Like, get your motorcycle. I want, like, I want you to have, your dreams, and like make that happen. And he was like. Oh, man thank you so much like he was freaking out about it and uh it was so much fun to uh, to be somewhere and have the opportunity to give someone joy and uh, he, he may never get that rc yeah. but I, you know the the joy on his face was worth it hell yeah, yeah. wow what a story man <laughs> that's really inspiring um i want to i don't know how the process of making your beverage is. Oh yeah. I, I want a little. I want to know a little bit about like. Oh, well, sir, there's just some secrety things that I can tell you about. Okay. I'm uh, oh, sorry. There's some secrety things I can't tell, tell you about. about. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, was like, okay, let's lay it on there. Oh, <laughs> Whoa. My entire team was like, no. Yeah, right. There's some secret things I can't tell you about, um, but I'll give you some some overall here. Uh, so all alcohol is basically made through a fermentation process that takes uh, some form of sugar, yeast, and water. And depending on where the sugar comes from and where the product is fermented, that's where the item gets its name, right? Uh, so like champagne is made with uh, grapes as a sugar base in the champagne region. They add uh, yeast and some water and it ferments and that's champagne. But that's not much different on a uh, on a building block basis than how tequila is made, right? So in tequila, they take agave as a sugar, they add yeast and water, and because it's made in the tequila region, it's made with agave, they call it tequila. 
Uh, vodka you can pretty much make anywhere. It's just whatever sugar you have in front of you, and then you throw in some yeast, and then whatever you get is vodka, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> potatoes. Potatoes. Yeah. Uh, beets. Beets. Uh, I you, love beets. I love beets too, man. You can literally anything, anything from grain to tomatoes. I mean, you name it. And so for us, uh, we don't add any. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say like weird stuff. I don't add any chemicals or. Um, I just I wanted to be really pure with my process, so it's yeast, water, sugar. That's what it is. Sometimes the water goes in at different temperatures. Sometimes we add more or less yeast, you know. But that's uh, that's ultimately what we do. That's awesome. So in this uh, wild man thing, I see that you oh, yeah. have adventures, travels, and other such. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure, for sure. So, uh, uh, part of the your wild style. man moniker here. Um, I sometimes get myself into crazy hobbies that uh, <laughs> seem small at the time and then they turn into something nuts. Uh, so I got into uh, auto racing. So I got into car racing uh, a couple years ago. I think it was 2013 or 2014. Uh, my neighbors were really big into SCCA, which is the Sports Car Club of America, and they were doing uh, autocross. So uh, my neighbor was like, yeah, you got to come out, you got to come out, you got to come out. And I bought uh, a little sports car to compete in it. And uh, and that pretty much defined my life for about four years, <gasps> uh, racing cars. Uh, and so I went from, you know, being the new guy, then I took uh, Rookie of the Year, and then I took Rookie Driver of the Year, and I took New Member of the Year. Wow. And then I took first in G-Stock in 2014 and 2015. And then uh, 2016, I took second. Uh, I'll never forgive myself took second it's fine yeah uh but the driver driver that beat me is uh he's a nationally ranked driver so he's fantastic and if i'm gonna lose to anyone i have less trouble losing to him <laughs> you know but uh race car uh driving and the sport itself became like everyone's a family i i've never been a part of an organization where you are in direct competition with someone but if you have a problem with the thing that you're competing with like your car they will get out all their tools, they will stop, they will help you, they will fix your car for you because they want to beat you fair and square, right? <laughs> and so it's a, it's a family sport in that. Like everyone wow. knows each other. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of these events we would travel to, you, you go for two or three days. And so you race and then you hang around a fire and cause shenanigans and do silly things. And uh, <laughs> one night, we're all, at, we're all out at Heartland Park uh, in Topeka, and it's this huge race, like conglomerate. It has uh, a dirt track and a road course and a drag strip and autocross and uh, motorcycle motocross. Like it's it's a lot, right? It's a big it's a big um, site, and a lot of their offerings are like uh, they have food and and RV camping and and so I sh I always show up with like this tiny little tent because I'm a uh, I'm a budget racer because I race <laughs> in a stock class, right? right? This boy has no money. Let's yeah, be honest. <laughs> yeah, no hotel. And so uh, me and all the guys are hanging out, and someone has their F mod hanging out. It looks like a looks like a Formula One car, but it doesn't have a big wing on it, and it's powered by a Rotax uh, snowmobile engine, right? And so we're all kind of standing around this thing, and one guy says, "Hey, I, I I bet I can run a quicker time than you." And this is after hours, right? We're all, you know drinking <laughs> right, right. you know parks right, closed right. And it's just us and one of the guys was like I, I bet i can run a faster time to that pole and back in that car than you can and so this starts a competition people are taking this seriously uh until uh security <laughs> comes out so now we're there's this uh security car it's like a ford explorer and it's trying to chase down this f mod uh, all throughout the park and no one can tell who's driving oh well, the security officer can't see who's driving because he's uh the driver has a helmet on, and uh, so lead, uh, the driver, who will remain nameless, uh, led the security car all the way down to one end of the park, and then made a beeline all the way back, right, just smoking. And there's no way this uh, this Ford Explorer can keep up. So he comes smoking into a, a stop here and jumps out, and he says, he yells, run around in circles. And so everyone drops what they're doing, and we just run around in circles, right? And then he, we hear him yell out, sit down, and we all sit down. <laughs> And so then the security officer comes out and he's like, I don't know which one of y'all did it. Well, if that car moves tonight, you're all out. And he left. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's so awesome. uh, man, I love, I love that community. I love race car driving. One day I'll get back into it. That's so cool that, um, 
you know, uh, family musicians. I had no idea you raced at all. I mean, not to say that like I approach someone and go, "You're you like must do this." Driver. Yeah, you must do this. Where's your jacket? Where's your helmet? No, that's awesome, man. And then like, you know, doing distilling has all created who you are now. You know, like uh, it's like pieces, and I can see it. And, and pieces like, of a funny puzzle, right? Be. And it's uh, most recently I've I've learned that like it's the smallest things that really you know like form the the biggest picture in your life and and so for me anyways that's that's been something i've been most recently um understanding and just embracing because i i think rather than looking at the huge big picture of thing it's just you know um walking in a room full of strangers going all right i hope this turns out well and then like you know having like the biggest connection and the small world conversations and you know someone and they know you know um it, it all um it all works out great and it, it's just this is this vibe that um i was just we've been trying to create especially with street wave um so i think the big question is too is um you open up next friday open up the 12th that's correct yeah next friday um can you give us a little detail on like what we can expect coming into mean mule absolutely so uh so the mean mule front of house here our bar uh is not a tasting room you don't come in and just try our product and you leave right we wanted to create uh, an actual experience for people in that we have real cocktails uh, we serve beer and wine and other people's liquor uh, other local brands uh, and we are trying to to pull out I think we have pretty well a, a full service bar that has an emphasis in who we are and what we do so the front of house uh, together we are somewhat of a Southwest-inspired brand in that we make an agave spirit, right. but we're also in Missouri. So, uh, so our bar is going to look like if your grandmother uh, suddenly had a bunch of cactuses in her house, like what would that look like, right? Uh, yeah. What if your grandmother uh, moved from the Southwest, came to Missouri, and then like built a, built a living room? So yeah, that's, yeah, that's basically what we have. Yeah. You know, we've got our huge uh, blue leather couch uh, because what grandmother doesn't love a blue leather couch? And so some, true. So true. Old leather chairs. We've got uh, uh, an enormous rug, uh, and really, it's we just want to build this experience where people can come in and feel comfortable. Um, and we're really not trying to. I mean, we don't have this opinion of ourselves as a company, or as as a group, as a team, that we are the best at anything. Right? You're not going to come in here and we're, and and be. Uh, yelled at by someone who's like, hey, you, you can't, uh, uh, like, we just don't have this high opinion of who we are that's, uh, we're just, I don't know, we're just humble. Like, that's all. Yeah. Thing. Like, we just want to be humble. We're not too good for anyone. Yeah, yeah. And then the vibe in here for the listeners, like, it is cozy as heck. Hell. Shoot, man, it's, <laughs> it's, um, and shit, <laughs> um, the, that machine. Oh yeah, the vending machine. The vending machine. Oh man, getting that thing in the front door. What's that about? Two thousand pounds. Yeah. So uh, the vending machine is. Uh, we're currently taking suggestions on what should go in it. Okay. Uh, we have suggestions. Everything from uh, one-time use breathalyzers to just merch, you know, shirts in various sizes. Uh, we're gonna work with some local brands like the Modest Mallow. Uh, to put some other stuff in there, uh, but if you have suggestions, if you have uh, if you have favorite treats or just random stuff uh, put that you want to put in there, guitar uh, strings, guitar strings, Ernie Actually, Ernie Ball, Ernie Ball, we're the gonna fix. do uh, we're gonna do a mystery box, okay, uh, and I think it'll be like one or two bucks for the mystery box, and it's just gonna be an entire line of the same colored box. Some of them are going to be filled with stuff that's just crap. Some of them are going to be filled with stuff that's like really cool. Yeah. Stuff that I made, uh, whether I 3D printed it or whatever it is uh, and designed it or uh, concert tickets or whatever. We're, we're just going to have one random uh, slot where you never know what you can get. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Man. Did you ever think um, starting Meme Mule um, at the beginning where you are now getting ready to open, did you... Did you ever see this coming? Did you? Was this a long process for you? Was it oh, um, sleepless nights? Um, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did I ever think? Uh, this has been a long process for us. We started this dream in 2015. 
and um, man, it has been, it's just been a lot. Uh, we're glad to be where we're at. It has not been without uh, its trials. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were times where my wife and I, uh, we rented our house out on Airbnb and we slept on people's couches because we had to leverage some sort of income to get this running, you know. Uh, up until a point we had bootstrapped this entire thing. When I signed the lease on this building, I signed a personal guarantee for about a half million dollars in rent. Uh, I had <laughs> not that in the bank in any <laughs> way, shape, or form. I think at the time... My eyebrows definitely raised and my eyes were big when you dropped yeah, that, when you said that number. Yeah, half million dollars in rent and I think my income was like 1200 a month at the time. Uh, and so... I mean, just through sheer determination uh, and the universe seeing how hard we're working and sending good vibes our way, man, like, we're finally here. And, uh, you know, I would not, this would not be here, I would not be here uh, without the help of my team. Uh, and the best thing that happened to us was that someone o along the line saw our passion for this, uh, brought on some... Uh, some friends, and then suddenly we had a team of investors that were more than just people with money. They were people with uh, understanding in the industry, people with uh, expertise, whether it be uh, legal expertise or uh, building brands or marketing. And all of a sudden it, it went from, and this was December of 2017, December of 2017, all of a sudden we went from this brand that was three people working 115 hours a week to suddenly we had 13 people uh, not counting employees that were all working as hard as they could to build this into something that was worth doing and uh, it saved my life because I probably would have died uh, <laughs> had it going at that rate and so uh, next week is a, a really big week for me. I finally get to uh, come on to Mean Mule full time hey. as a, uh, a paid employee. That's never Congratulations. happened. Congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, I quit my engineering job. Uh, so thankful for uh, the people who saw enough in me to give me some sort of employment through this whole thing. It's been interesting working 40 hours for someone else and 80 hours for myself a week. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Completely. Completely. Uh, but I am I'm so so happy to be here, and I could not be more thankful uh, for the people in this city uh, just being as helpful and as kind. I mean, just the friends that have called us up and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to make food for you tonight. Or uh, I had a friend, a really good friend of mine, uh, bring me food last night during our soft opening for uh, – for the bar for first Friday and you know if it wasn't for these people just looking out for us uh, we wouldn't be here that's awesome yeah team teamwork makes the dream work that's right <laughs> <laughs> as as cliche as that is it's really honestly true for those people out there that are wanting to get into distilling what's some tips that you can leave with them oh, man. any motivation any encouragement absolutely Absolutely. So if you want to get into uh, distilling in the United States, uh, I would caution you, especially with the social media uh, society that we have now, I would caution you to just keep it secret. Uh, it's funny. Notice there is no school that teaches this. There's no school that teaches distilling uh, in the United States. There's a couple in Scotland, but it's they teach mostly about making scotch. <laughs> Uh, and to make alcohol in a place that does not have, have a federal bond is technically a felony. Um, now, I would just caution people to just keep those things in mind before starting this, uh, before starting any sort of a hobby that could turn into a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I encourage you to just uh, follow your heart and uh, watch YouTube. A lot of YouTube. A lot of YouTube. Hell yeah. Um, before we leave, sure. um, there's a question that I've been recently uh, just on myself, just like meditating on is, all right, so let's say 100 years pass and artifacts were dug up about you, Evan. 
what would you want those artifacts to say about you? <laughs> oh, man. What I want those artifacts to say about me. I really like the idea of scientists uncovering all of these artifacts for other people and they make sense. And then when they uncover like three or four things about me, they all just sit there and scratch their heads and look at each other like, what the heck is all this shit? <laughs> what does this mean? Right. And uh, I just want to be the anomaly. That's all I want. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's awesome. That makes perfect sense. Well, um, for the listeners, how can we know, how can we follow, um, sure. how can we uh, stay up to date for what's going on here at Mean Mule? Right. So uh, our Instagram uh, is Mean Mule Distilling Co. Uh, that's also our brand name. Brand. And if you want to uh, hit me up, uh, my Instagram handle is uh, Jeffe underscore the underscore Hefe. <laughs> Clever. Clever. Yeah. Well, thanks again, man, for your time. Um, we're down to Me Mules down in the crossroads. Come check it out on Friday. Um, grand opening starts at. Oh, geez. Well, anytime you want to show up. Four oh, o'clock. Hey, hey, Four o'clock. Show up at the door. <laughs> yeah, we're ready for you. All right. This is Street Wave. And we out.